Mark chapter 6. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through uh, 13. And we're going to look at two big things that we see in this, in this particular account, this particular uh, reading that we're going to make note of. And let's get straight to work. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, He, being Jesus, went from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? And how are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. Hoorah, hoorah. (laughs) I'm just kidding. And gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. More or less saying they are now held accountable for their own and you have nothing. You're almost like Pilate was washing his hands from what was about to take place with the crucifixion. So they went out and they did what? They proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed many with oil who were sick and healed them. So if you were reading through these names mentioned here as these people that were familiar with Jesus, as he was growing up in this particular area, they recognized him as what? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? And the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. There's two names I'll I'll mention to you if you've ever wondered these, or maybe you knew these, maybe you didn't. Uh, The names of James and the name of Judas. This is not Judas Iscariot. This is a different Judas. This is his half-brother. All right. And James would go on to write the book of James. If you did not know that, there you go. And Judas would go on to write one of the shortest books in the Bible, New Testament letter, titled as Jude. These were Jesus' half-brothers, and what you can see in both of those is how they identify themselves at the beginning of their letter. They both identify themselves as servants of, not, hey, Jesus is my half-brother, you know, I can kind of say what I want, he's going to cover me, but they recognize who Jesus truly was, even as their half-brother, and growing up with him, you know, and probably having arm wrestling matches and and tug-of-wars and different things, they recognize that as Jesus grew and he did his earthly ministry and then rose from the dead, that this guy that I consider my brother truly is the Messiah. And they recognize Jesus being who he really was. Now, what you may see in this particular part of our, our gospel Mark study is that it could be, and many scholars believe, that Jesus' deity was fairly well hidden up to the moment of his ministry. Because they recognize him as what? Isn't this just the carpenter man? This is just Mary's son? This is just, you know, James' brother that we see working over here? But it is possible that his ministry up until his ministry his deity was pretty well hidden he didn't really show it 
until he stepped onto the scene to do what he had set out to do. So there's two things that I want to really look at from this that we can apply today and that we need to know. And, you know, whenever you read of Jesus coming back home, you would think they would have a parade, you know, and, you know, you see soldiers come home from Afghanistan or, or people that come home from deployments and they have sometimes parades in small towns and they welcome them home and, and they, they honor them for, for making it home. Well, Jesus is received not how we would expect him to be received, which is just another reminder that when we get into the message of Jesus here in just a moment, that uh, Jesus did not come for the many. He actually came for the few. And he came to save the world, but he even identified that he was coming to save sinners and called to seek the lost, but that many would actually reject him and travel by the wide gate, and that only few would actually receive the life and travel by the narrow gate that would lead to, to life. So as we look at what we just read, how does this apply to us in 2023? We first start with the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus. So we live in a time in, in this world that we do not like to offend people, right? I mean, everybody's afraid of being offended or you offended me or I offended you. Well, let me read to you a little, um, a little paragraph of an author named Francis Chan. He's a pastor. He's an author. Let me just read to you because whenever you read the people who received Jesus in his hometown, it actually says they took offense to him. Like they weren't happy. Hey, Jesus, we're so glad you're back. You raised so-and-so from the dead. You healed them. Let's just welcome you home. They actually took offense to him. So Francis Chan writes this, that the Greek word here for took offense is scandaliso, scandaliso, from which we get the English term scandal. And throughout the New Testament, scandaliso shows up to describe Jewish reactions to Jesus. The problem with the people of Nazareth was their unbelief in the face of Jesus' teaching. In a day and age where we are hesitant to offend anyone, the true gospel is provocative. It always has been. It doesn't mean we should be divisive or rude when we tell people about Jesus, but we should expect the message itself to come across like a scandal. So that is written by a pastor who has ministered in the streets of California to the homeless. He's ministered to the rich. He has traveled the world preaching the gospel of Christ, and he has one thing in common with all types of people. Not everyone receives it. And the message of Jesus is not always easily received because here's how we, we do one of three things whenever we hear the gospel of Christ. We either run away from it, we either want that person to run out of our lives, or we receive it. And what we see in Jesus' town is that they are wanting to run him out of town. When we see the religious people of that day, they are what? Wanting to run him out of town or to just crucify him. Let's just kill him and get him out of here. Why? Because the message of Jesus literally smacks us in the face. Does it not? The message of Jesus tells us what? That you and I are actually filthy rags in his sight and that we are sinners destined to eternal separation until we call upon his name, we will be eternally separated from him and we are actually going to pay the wages of our sin, which is death, separation from life. So the message of Jesus isn't comfortable. I mean, if we preach the true gospel, there are going to be times where you come into here. There's going to be times where I've sat in numerous services where it was like I just got punched in the face for 35 minutes by a guy I didn't really know that well, and I didn't like it. There's going to be times where the true gospel of Christ tells you you cannot continue to live in adultery, and you cannot continue to live in drunkenness. You cannot continue to live in greed or gossip or whatever it is. We, the true gospel pretty well sometimes punches us right in the gut, and it's uncomfortable. So what do we do? We respond by either running away, further away from it, because that was uncomfortable, and I don't like to do that. 
you know, if I were to walk through the house in the night and, and hit something or run into a wall, I would probably walk differently the next day as I did that. You know, if you, if you walked into a pole and didn't like it and I wanted to, to do the same thing, I, I would follow you, but I would probably learn from you. And, and then what happens is we see people that hear the gospel message and it confronts them in their sinfulness and they run away and they bring all that they can with them to run away from it because they're afraid of truly repenting or they want to run those people out of their lives as these people wanted to run Jesus out of their lives. So here's, the, here's what happens in our life. We share the gospel with people we know, people that we love, and then we distance ourselves, not because of anything that we did, but because they want to run you out of their life because they don't appreciate the conviction or the confrontation that the gospel of Christ brings. And let's just face it. No one likes to hear that they have to be saved, right? I mean, we talk about people thinking of themselves as good people. If I were to raise your hand and ask you, or if you were to raise your hand to this question, are you a good person? Just raise your hand. Or do you think you're a good person? You can be honest. Let me line in church. We'll just alter call right now and go home. But I think I'm a good guy. I mean, I try hard. I work hard. I love my wife, my kids. I love what I do. But in and of my own strength, I'm not. The Bible says none of us are good. None of us are holy. So people in today's world do not like to hear that they are in need of being saved. Because they think, well, I've got a nice job. You know, I've got a good family. I have a nice house. We live in a cul-de-sac. I got good neighbors or, or I work hard. I got a full-time job. I'm holding the job down. I'm paying my bills. I'm feeding my kids. I'm helping the needy. Like, what more do I need? People do not like to hear the true message of Jesus. That is, you must repent of your sin and call upon him and turn from your sinfulness in order to truly receive the grace and the mercy of God. It's not easily taken. So people like to run away from or run you out of. And then there's also going to be those people that truly receive it. There's going to be people that truly receive it and they call upon his holy name and they repent and they truly follow him for the rest of their lives. And here's what we see in Jesus' day, that it truly is a scandal. The true gospel of Jesus is a scandal. And whenever Jesus began his ministry, if you remember, as we go all the way back to the beginning of our Mark study, Jesus went into the wilderness, and after that, he came back and he began to preach. And what did he begin to preach? If you remember, he began to preach this, repent for the kingdom of God is what? Near, it's at hand, to repent. Whenever the disciples were called, the, then sent out as apostles, the Bible says they went out and proclaimed that people should what? Repent. So the true gospel being proclaimed from me or to me is that I must repent from my brokenness and from my sinfulness. Now, there are two definitions of this word repent. One's in the Hebrew and one's in the Greek. The Hebrew means to truly change behavior or physical direction. To, to truly change the direction I am going. Therefore, that is a behavioral repentance. The Greek explanation and definition is a changing in one's mind to then affect one's behavior. So if you were to repent of your sin, it's not that you just try harder not to sin as much. It's that you truly leave behind sin where they stand and you truly turn the other way. And let's just face it. If I were to tell you, hey, what you are doing is sinfulness and you should repent or it's going to destroy your life, you would laugh at me, mock me, or want me to get out of your face immediately. Would you not? 
Some people can take it, some people can't, but these people in Jesus' day were comfortable doing the things that they were doing. So what we see first is this, the message of Jesus sometimes addresses things that we don't like to confront, things that we don't want to admit, things that we don't want to change. But if we were to do our job as Christians, if you were to do your job as family members of people who are lost, you would continue to preach the gospel, the true gospel, that they should repent of their sin and turn and face the Lord. And then we see the second thing I want to bring up, which is the messengers that Jesus used. So first we see the message of Jesus, how it punches us in the gut sometimes, how whenever we were living in our sinfulness, it literally brought us to a street, screeching halt, and we had to stop, and we had to surrender, we had to bow before him, as we just think about, as we were brought to our knees at the cross of Christ. And then we see the messengers that Jesus used. So if you were to read this again, it would say that he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them the authority over unclean spirits, and he charged them to take nothing with them. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart. And if anyone will not receive you, they will not listen to you. When you leave, shake off your dust. So what he's actually doing is he's kind of uh, preparing these people for rejection. Jesus was rejected whenever he was preaching in his hometown by many people. And he's preparing these people that, hey, there's going to be time where you are rejected for my namesake. If I were to ask you if you ever preached the gospel to someone and they reject it, would you just raise your hand? And if we're not careful, we think it's about us. We think that they rejected us or they hate us when really it's they are rejecting the gospel message of Jesus, that they need to repent and turn to him. And Jesus sends them out. But let's just talk for just a moment who he sent out. So at this particular time in his life and in their life, have they experienced the crucif- has he experienced the crucifixion? No. He hasn't been arrested. There's only been a little bit of time in this particular gospel account that we've seen. They begin to discuss how they could truly destroy him. So these people have yet to see that there's the true crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. Are these people well-educated as a, you know, we would consider a Bible college degree in today's world? No, they haven't been following Jesus very long. Some of these people were fishermen, tax collectors. They may have known the law, but then they rebelled against it to to be a tax collector, or maybe they had no desire to truly serve the Lord as they should, and they wanted to make money and just build their own financial uh, status, or who knows all of their stories in full detail. But the reality is Jesus calls these 12 people who were broken and then commands them to go and to share the gospel with the world. The reason I bring up the messengers in this story is because I look at you As you look at me, and I want to command you, not command you, let me challenge you or charge you to go and to proclaim the gospel. That is your responsibility as it is mine. Hang on. I didn't plan that. All right, that's just what happens. But as we sit here today and as you sit here, I want to challenge you and I want to charge you to leave here today and to truly share the gospel. Well, here's what you may say. Well, I don't have a Bible college degree and I don't have a lot of scripture memorized and I don't have all of the answers to all of the questions. Well, neither do they. But they had witnessed Jesus perform miracle after miracle. They had heard the teachings of Jesus. And what you and I actually have where they did not is we have the full story. We have the whole word of God in our hands, in our pockets. And we are sometimes too afraid to go and to share the gospel. But here's the reality that they face just as you and I will face. 
If we are to truly preach the full message of Christ, the full gospel, the true gospel, then let me just warn you, let me just give you a heads up that you will likely receive rejection. Are you excited yet? There are going to be people that mock you and laugh in your face and call you an idiot because you believe in this fairy tale of this old man up there. And if there was so good of a God, why is there so much bad and all of this pain? And why hasn't he saved these people? Let me just tell you, you will be received with rejection. But just as Jesus instructed them, we must also hold true to this too. Not does it distract us from going, but we might just shorten our time with this particular person or that particular uh, family member. But there are times where you and I experience the call of the Lord as he lays someone on our heart or he opens a door for us to share the gospel. And if we aren't careful, the fear of rejection will actually paralyze us from preaching the good news. And I just want to challenge all of us to go and to preach the message of Jesus, even in the face of rejection. So the Bible says that when Jesus was rejected and they took offense to him, he marveled at their unbelief. Very few times do we see where God marvels or is sickened by man. But in this particular account, it was their unbelief and their poor reception of him. But what did Jesus do as he was rejected? The Bible says in verse 6, after he marveled because of their belief, he went out among the villages, what? Teaching. He went out still teaching. Because you never know the fertile ground that you will find one day if you continue to plant the seed which is the word of God. You never know exactly where you're going to come into contact with that person whose life is changed because you were willing and courageous to share the message of Christ, whose marriage was repaired, whose children began to praise the Lord. And for generations, you never know the impact that would happen if you are truly courageous in going and teaching the message of Jesus to the world. Now, as I mentioned, there are going to be times where you are fully rejected. So I don't want to not warn you. I don't want you to leave here and think, okay, everybody I tell the gospel to is going to repent. They're going to come to Christ. No, there's going to be people that hate you because of the name of Jesus. There's going to be people that rebuke you because of the name of Jesus. There's going to be people that laugh at you because of the name of Jesus. But do not, I may never, you must never allow that to discourage you from truly going and sharing the gospel. So in this particular story, and what this means for us today in 2023 is this. The message of Jesus is still the same and still received the same way. By some, get out of my life. By some, I'm going to run the other way because of the conviction that I'm under. and I'm just going to try to numb it with all of these ways. Or for some, they may receive it. But the message of Jesus has always been scandalous to the world. It's always been a little provocative to the world that they are truly in need of being saved and I must change from my ways when I'm enjoying my life and I'm comfortable living in this and these things are going well and and I've got the money in the bank. But the message of Jesus has always been the same, to repent and turn to the Lord. And then we see in this particular story, God's using 12 imperfect, flawed people to go and to proclaim the good news of him. If you were to look around this place today, God is calling and using and ready to assemble a group of people to go and to proclaim the gospel. And if you were to pick all of the perfect people out of here, you would have absolutely no one. So do not feed to me the, the lies of, well, I, I, God would never use me because I'm imperfect. God uses me every single week and I am just as imperfect sometimes as you are, sometimes more. 
Sometimes I'm better. But if I were to be up here based on my own perfection, then I would never be here. If you were to be used by God based on your own perfection, then you would never be used by him. But what God does is he takes imperfect people, people who are flawed and broken in their own ways, in their own sin, and he redeems and he reconciles them back to him. And then he empowers and activates them into the field of ministry. And he equips us to do the work of the ministry, the work that he has set before us. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Maybe for the first time in your life, you you feel today like, okay, I can go and share the gospel. I want to encourage you and challenge you to go and to preach the gospel of Christ. Because up to this point in your life, maybe you have felt as if, well, there's no way God could use me. There's no way that he would ever use someone that's done these things. There's no way that he would ever save someone like me. There's no way he would ever want me to be a part of all of this. And here's what I would tell you. Yes, if he is calling you to go, go. As Jesus was leaving the earth, he challenged his disciples to what? To go. Well, what's it going to look like? Wish I knew. Where are we going to go, Lord? I wish I knew. Who am I going to speak to? How am I going to receive? I wish I knew. But go. Because here's the reality. All of us most likely have family, friends, or co-workers who are in need of being saved. Will you go? We all know people and love people and care for people that if we do not get over our own personal fears and our own discouragement, they may literally be separated from the Lord forever. Could it be that he is calling you to go and to share his message and be his messenger to that person or to those people so that they could be redeemed and brought to faith in Christ and then spend eternity with him? Will you go for that? It's not a matter of, well, I don't have the degree and I don't have the courage to go and to speak in front of people. No, no, no. It's me encouraging you and challenging you to go because it is their salvation. There is their eternal destination, the salvation of the Lord being extended to them, maybe through you pointing them to him. Would you go for them? Would you go for them to find salvation in Christ? Now, not everyone will. The messengers may always be rejected. But will you truly humble yourself and get over yourself to go? Let's pray.